Welcome to the Unapologetically Educated Podcast, a place for leadership, education, and real talk, where we can discuss the ups and downs, changing trends, and straightforward conversations about education. Now, your host of the Unapologetically Educated Podcast, Principal Hannibal. Thank you for tuning in to the second to the last episode of Unapologetically Educated. I am blessed to be at the end of season one. I did not know that, I didn't even think that I would make it to an end of a season of a podcast. And so this started with a hope and a prayer, rest in heaven. Again, Principal Ashley Coins for just inspiring me and pushing me to something that um was evidently in me, but other people saw it before I saw it. And so thank you so much. And then I also want to give a a shout out and a thanks to all the listeners who listen, who subscribe, who leave me feedback on social media. That is super important to, you know, birthing and creating more opportunities for unapologetically educated to live. Like I just realized I have a whole following of like young college students that are like interested in the work and knowing like, do I fit in this space? Yes, you fit in space. And so with that, I have to shout out the people that came on the show that made this happen because I'm just the the conduit of energy. Everybody who comes on the show, they are the seasoned talent. I just get that, get that thing flowing in the space for you. So shout out to Principal Cafele, Amber Tiemann, Principal Captain Kirk, Connected Principal, Principal Sean Joseph, Principal Dallas Lee, Alva Walker, Lavetta Levels, oh my goodness, Jerice Johnson, Sonia Palmer, Keisha Coleman Moore, and then to my sis, uh, Letha Harper, who's been on the show twice because our energy is just the same. And we fight, we batty batted about this thing. And so many others who have come on the show, thank you so much for the work, the effort to come out and speak not only your truth about who you are as a leader, but to inspire others through your platform. So with that, a lot of people ask me, what does it mean to be unapologetically educated? And y'all, I've been unapologetically educated since 1979. Yes, that's me, birth year, 40 years old. And to me, it means that I don't need a pandemic. I don't need a racial uprising for me to speak my truth, for me to own and work to solve problems in our system. So I'm going to say that again. We shouldn't need chaos to do what's right. We shouldn't need it. And so unapologetically educated means that if you see something wrong in this system, education, community-wise, student-wise, family-wise, you advocate for it. It means you don't need a degree and you don't need a doctorate to do this. You advocate and you come up with solutions because we could all march and protest and do all that, and it's phenomenal, and I love seeing it. But when all of this dies down, are you still unapologetically advocating for what is right? When they give you that promotion, are you still like, ooh, I'm going to advocate for social change? Or that now that you got this promotion, you're just going to sit back in the cut because you've been blessed up because of this chaos. So unapologetically educated means you're a rider. When it's quiet, you're a rider when, hey, it's chaos. 
And so thank you to all those educators and those people out there committing to this. Thank you for that new group of, you know, educators and, and followers that I have that want to know more about the systems and things in education. Because sitting in the seat as school leader, we get to see it from a very, very unique um, lens. We get to see the plight of the teacher, the plight of the parent, the student, and the plight of upper administration. So we are the middle ground of figuring this out. So I thank you for listening and tuning in. So I'm going to get off my soapbox because I have Claudine Miles on the show today. And, and I brought her on the show because I know us as leaders. What we do is we want to solve the problem. Yes, we want to diagnose it and solve the problem, which means we just start throwing money at anything about social justice, anything about um, uh, SEL. We just start throwing money at it and, and, and we, because we want to solve the problem. It's not that we are ineffective by any means. We want to solve the problem. We want to solve it for our kids and our teachers right away. So I brought Claudine on the show to talk about, to give us a litmus test. And whether you go with her company, which is Restore More, um, or, or whether you go with someone else, they got to be able to advocate and do it right for kids. And so without further ado, Claudine, tell them about yourself. Hey, hey, everybody. My name is Claudine Miles, as I was so graciously introduced. First of all, thank you for reaching out to me. Unlike uh, some of the other folks you may have reached out to, I was like, absolutely, I would be honored. Um, one, because I think something that you said really resonated with me, you know, currently in the climate that we're in, we keep seeing this phrase like amplify melanated voices, right? right. And, and I see that happening in the social media space. I see that happening when new workshops are being announced. But like you said, I keep seeing the same faces, and I think that's great in terms of those individual educators and thought leaders, like kudos to them. But recognizing that this educational landscape is vast and there are so many other folks that need to be uplifted and showcased. And so when you reached out, I was like, oh, absolutely. I'll slide right onto this podcast set and uh, share share what I do and what I love about what I do. So thank you first for having me. And I most definitely am grateful um, just to be here and then talk with you and your audience and learn more. So before we jump into the show, I want to talk, kind of get you loose about like, what are you doing to, um, you know, just chill out? Like it's a lot on our plates right now. So what are you doing to unwind? And for me, I always ask because I am a avid um, hip hop enthusiast, um, but I'm also an avid reader. And so this past week I have been um, in love with the Ty Tribbett song, We Gonna Be All Right. That song has been blasting in my house for weeks now, and it is it is the jam. And so it's been my morning motivational song to get me up and moving. But then also I am an avid um, black romance novel reader. And so the two that uh, two authors that if you read black romance novels and you don't know about these two people, uh, you need to know about them after this show. And it's Christina C. Jones and Love Bevelin. And when I read those books, you could be talking to me and I ain't heard nothing you said. I forget our work responsibilities. I forget that social media exists. I forget that I am a leader, a mother, sometimes a wife. But then if the book get too good, then I, I remember I am a wife. But that's neither here nor there. But yes. So what are you listening to and reading? Um, or you can just do what are you uh, listening to? So I'll give you a book and a song. How about that? Um, so 
I recently interviewed like an upcoming Atlanta artist named Dane Caston, and his latest track is Don't Know What to Say. And this song is very much about what's going on right now. It is very much about how we start dialogue when we don't always know what to say. Um, but when I tell you the song is like a whole mood, it's very therapeutic. It has some jazz ryth rhythms in there. He's just an old soul, um, despite being very young. And I appreciate the way he has taken an important message and put it on top of a beautiful melody. So that has been like a healing, almost therapeutic piece of music that I've been listening to uh, frequently lately. And then a book that I'm reading is actually by a fellow educator. So uh, Ronald Clark um, is a colleague. He is someone I went to college with many moons ago at Hampton University, whoop, whoop, for HBCU listeners. Um, and he wrote a book called Vinny. And it's about a young Black adolescent male growing up um, and some of the challenges that he faces. And so I've been really, really enjoying slow reading it, like taking my time and really basking in the fact that like, yo, my friend wrote this and it's great. So uh, those are two things I'm doing to kind of refresh, renew, restore myself on off time. So talk to me about um, talk to me about what restore more is. How did you land in this space from an educational leader into this space? And then what do you do to help school systems? Cool. So uh, I have been in education for about 12 plus years. My business partner has like another 15 years. So collectively, we're almost pushing 30 years. Um and we both have sat in various administrative seats, um, ranging from, you know, grade level chair all the way up to district level leadership. And so in 2018, we had really started noticing that student culture was outpacing policy. And, and what I say by that is that kids had suddenly been introduced to phones and social media and, and the vast trouble that one can find on the interwebs and they did however our policy hadn't necessarily caught up to that change and what we found was that we were over suspending students for things that policy said we should but we could have actually probably solved it in a different way so when we started looking at the data and realizing wait a minute we're perpetrating the same trends that we say we want to dismantle. We're over-suspending our Black boys. We're over-suspending our Black girls. We're over-suspending students with disabilities. And this is a school where everyone looked like me. All my students were Black. Most of my staff was Black. And that was a, a blessing. But in the same vein, we had to be very careful and mindful to make sure we weren't upholding the same institutional, racialized aspects that other schools are are upholding, right? That's what we said we didn't want to do. And then in essence, in some ways we were. And so we decided um, in about like 2015 to make a transition to be a restorative school. And through that work, it just ignited something in me that said, I've got to get out of the confines of these walls and this space because these babies right here are going to be okay. Because everyone in the school believes that restorative practices are important. Everyone in the school sees the beauty of Black children and educating them, not just academically, but culturally about their history, about the potential that they have within them, right? And so it was high time for me to say, how can I take what I've been doing here and make it happen elsewhere so that more kids are impacted, so that more schools are impacted and Restore More was born. And our main goal 
is to partner with schools or organizations that are looking to grow their skill set in social emotional learning, anti-racism, self-awareness, and restorative practices. Like we basically gonna come in and help y'all get yourselves together uh, because oftentimes it's it's hard for leaders to take on that in conjunction with all the other things yes, they have yes. going on. And so for us, it's like, hey, leader, we are here to support you, prop up your vision, make your job a little bit easier, help you connect bridges, because the work is hard for leaders. And so we try to be an ally for them in it. So I want to ask you, a, and it might not be a utopia sense. You said you guys had a restorative like the whole school, what does that look like? Like, what is the idea or dream school or have you already witnessed it? And what did it look like um, throughout the school system? All right. You ready for a ride? Because it is definitely different. Um, And and we didn't get there overnight. If I'm being very clear, we had a three year plan and each year we would roll back punitive practices and implement restorative practices because there's no way you could take someone from zero to a hundred real quick. Like that's a good sign, but that's not real life. You better drink. Um, yes. <laughs> right. Like I want to lose some weight, but I'm not going to lose all 40 pounds overnight. It's, it's a process. And I think in education, sometimes we try to keep our foot on the gas. And then what do we do? We're like, Oh, we didn't get there, throw it out. And, and that's a problem. We keep trying to wash and rinse and repeat rather than slowing down, implementing intentionally and monitoring and tweaking. And and that's what we did. So I'm going to give you the, this is what the three-year version looked like so that we can dream. But I I wanted to make sure I prefaced it with, we didn't get there overnight and it was a process. But by the time we had fully implemented our plan, essentially we had character circles or restorative circles two days a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays for 20 minutes where they were engaging in social emotional learning content that I built myself because there was a gap. Um, We had looked at the second step. We had looked at, you know, several other large organizations that put together curriculum like this for students. And I just kept saying, I don't see my kids. I don't see my kids in this. Mm -hmm. And so essentially we had to make our own. Um, but teachers were trained on how to implement these circles. So they're doing these circles in their homerooms two times a week, 20 minutes. They're building better relationships with kids. They're getting to know some really deep things that make the kids tick. On Fridays, once a month, they would have 40-minute small group circles. So now, instead of being in my homeroom, now I have another opportunity to engage, practice my communication skills, practice my empathy, practice my conflict resolution skills. But I'm doing this in a small group of like, 14 kids max. I have one leader, one circle keeper, and that person is with me all year long. So now I have my homeroom teacher that I'm bonded to. I also have one adult in the building that I engage with on a monthly basis on a very deep way. So I have another person, uh, a support person I could potentially reach out to if I'm a student. We told the staff moving forward, we're only going to suspend students for these five things. And they were the egregious things, right? Um, You know, deadly weapons, extreme violence, those, those big uh, things that need to be handled in certain ways, those were the things that we suspended for. Everything else, we told them it was workable. Everything else. We then created a, a self-indicating form if a student had a conflict. Like, so if I'm a kid and I, you know, so-and-so told me they're going to fight me in mm-hmm. the morning on social media because that's real life. That's what I'm dealing Every with. Every day okay? at my school. Every day. They would get off the bus like, Mima, Mima, so-and-so says she's going to fight me. Look at my DM. Oh, okay, come here, baby. So we would create a system 
uh, via Google form where a kid could request a circle. So you don't have to fight. When we made it seem like the only option was fighting, that's what they did. Because if they told us in the past, they would get in trouble. Now we're saying, tell us, and then we're going to take an opportunity to sit you both down and actually help you solve the problem. So not only are we giving kids a way to self-report, we're then helping build up their communication skills, their empathy skills, all the things that we're saying middle schoolers and high schoolers are lacking, right? Um, And then the final component is actually having a restorative council made up of students. And that was beautiful to watch that in action. Mm. Essentially, as kids continue to self-report reasons they might need a, a, a circle to repair an incident that they've had, other students are doing that work. And so I'm there as the leader and I'm supporting them, but they're the ones asking the restorative questions. Like, what were you thinking? Um, what happened? Who was affected? How do you make it right? They're the ones really pushing their peers to process and understand why they did what they did and take accountability for it. So that is the dream where student voice is respected and honored, where students are held accountable and where the community gets better because people feel bad when they mess up. And not because it's a punishment, but because I love you and I really feel bad that I hurt you. So you have, number one, given me chills. Um, I I feel I need to be in front of you because now I want to hug. Like, I feel like I just need some love. Sometimes that's what we need. We just need a little love. Let me let me say this. You said two very powerful things. Everybody who knows me in a personal or even a professional, like, no, I'm a systems person. So when you said implementation plan, like that might be like a wrist tattoo. I just so believe in not pushing people to do things without a implementation plan and and what that looks like year one year two year three and then until we complete the vision right um the other part of that is i know that you had to have some teacher training that we to to build this capacity because everybody knows you you always got a couple of naysayers so i want to talk about how did you build teacher capacity but i want to also say to the listeners out there if you didn't get inspired by that to bring that 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 lifestyle, that look, that feel, that culture into your building, I don't know what's wrong with you. And on the second side of that coin or the other side of that coin, I just think about another reason why we got to put ourselves out there and we got to support one another. Everybody needs to have to know that that's what the the utopia feels like and actually it's achievable it's obtainable so let's let's switch okay so you got teachers in your building you got administrators in the building like yeah that sound real good but i ain't for that so how do you get people invested in that this is such a good question and i think understanding change management is so important and it's something that leaders often overlook they're like oh, I got to change from a district. I just got to push it down and make it happen. And then when teachers don't quickly adopt it, they're like, oh, no good teachers. And that's not true, right? That's not true. (laughs) What we have to do is take a look at what does the science between change really say? And and the science says, don't nobody want to change, okay? It's not the teacher's fault. People in general are just resistant to change. And there is actual science. Now, remember, I told you, I manage the science department. I taught science. Yes, ma'am. So that's just the way that brain works, right? There's a very logical way to go about getting people over to your side. A great resource uh, was a book that I read early on in my leadership training, and it was called The Influencer Game 
changer. It's going to teach you how to take these ideas or these innovative strategies you have and get people attracted to the idea. Get people invested in the idea without pushing them away. Because a lot of us have great ideas, but we don't necessarily know how to communicate it. And therefore, it doesn't ever get any traction. So in terms of building capacity, I will say from early on, I had to be very clear the challenge that comes with change management. And one activity that I did that was really helpful, and I think this is is great for any leader who's considering undertaking any type of systematic change, is actually taking your staff list and plotting folks on a continuum. So uh, there's a continuum of of change, right? You've got your early adopters, you've got your um, next series of adopters, and then somewhere all the way on the back of that continuum to the left, you have a group that is called like late adopters, or I've even seen the term laggards, which I don't really like, but (laughs) like a laggard is someone who's just like very slow. But you do have those folks when you roll something out um, that is really new and is really foreign that are like, yep, nope, not here for that. I've been here for 25 years. I don't need that. Or even the inverse. I've been here for two years. I'm not ready for that. Mm. And so what I did was I took that continuum and I went through all 50 plus staff members I had and I plotted them. So who falls, who is already doing this? Who, who are my early adopters? Who are my cheerleaders? Who's been doing this? They don't even know what it's called because that's <laughs> yes. just who they are. Right. Cause you have those people, mm-hmm. right. Who, who they can always rework a child's mistake. They can take an emotionally distraught child and bring them right back up to the king or queen that they were. So there are people in your building that are already doing this. I promise you. Then you find your folks who, if they just knew a little bit more, they want to. They're ambitious. They want to, they just need to know a little bit more. So once I did all of that, each group, each category had a different approach, right? Got you. So I'm not, I'm not going to my laggards first. Why? Because that's the most energy. They're not ready to ride anyway. So let me go get my early adopters, my cheerleaders. Let me empower them. And that's when I made a small group restorative practice committee. That way there, it wasn't Mrs. Miles, the assistant principal, pushing out all of these things and telling people what to do. It was a team of people invested in the school that were already leaders that believed that this could work that pushed it. So the first thing was building a coalition. And that is something that came from influencer. That's why I'm like, you got to read that book, Amazing for Change Management. Yes. Um, And then over time, like I said, each group had a, a, a distinct strategy. But by the time I worked through every other group, the laggards were like, oh, well, you got so and so. Oh, well, you got so-and-so. Well, I can at least listen. The second piece of that is restorative practices is not, it is something that you do, but mostly it is something that you feel. You embody. So the only only way you get people to see that is is not, especially not in the beginning, not by reading literature. It's not by, uh, you know, looking at case studies. it's, It's not by watching videos. It's by doing the work. So in our onboarding that training that particular year that this became a priority, we did circles every single day. Why? Because if I need you to be able to emote with kids, then we've got to build a staff culture of emoting. We've got to build the muscle of being able to be vulnerable with each other before we can ever be vulnerable with kids. We've got to build a culture where we can call each other out and build each other up and highlight each other's positive growths, right? All of those things. So in the beginning, we started very light with what we just call check-in circles. And every day we would just check in. There were five essential questions we would ask. Everyone had a voice. Everyone had a turn to speak. And then as the year progressed and things got more challenging, sometimes we would talk about big issues, right? So this is a new policy that's coming down. Let's talk about it in a circle format. So 
at that point, now the muscle is built. We all know what circle is. We do it continually. And once people start to see like, oh, wait, this is a good way for me to feel heard. Oh, I can address my problem. Oh, I can say something to my boss in this setting that actually is landing well and, and received in a, in a constructive way. And it's criticism. Right. So I think once people really felt that it worked, they were bought in. Right. And we did that, like I said, before we even ever before kids even came into the building that year, we were building that with the adults. So now we want to talk about that, that, that great idea, that utopia, which actually really happened. So let's move into this super school. What does that look like in a virtual sense? Everything you just discussed, which is phenomenal. Principals are going to hear this and other leaders like, yep, I'm down. Sign me up. You know, how do I get in touch with her? Or how do I get in touch with somebody? Right. But now, oh man, we're in a hybrid model. We in a virtual model. What does this look like? What do we do? I think it, it starts in many of the same places. It's first coming up with like your cultural plan. Oftentimes we pay so much attention to the academics without realizing that the culture fuels it, right? Uh, we used to have a motto at my old school network. It was like 51% character, 49% academics because it is that important. Yes, it is. And so I think the first thing is just taking stock of like, okay, where is my school now? Where do I want it to go? And looking at what the gap is in between there, because that's going to then help you identify who you need. But if you need me, <laughs> one, <laughs> this can still work. And let me tell you why. All it takes is, is, a, is an ambitious leader to see the problem and connect it to a solution. So I had the privilege of working with a school in Philadelphia in May. And that leader said, oh, my God, my staff is going through it. They're reaching out. They're losing family. They miss the kids. They're struggling with this, this flip. This transition has been taxing, right? How do I check in on them? I keep sending texts, but it doesn't seem like enough. And I told right. them it's not enough. A text isn't a deep, meaningful connection. And no, you can't call 50 people and spend two to three hours. That's not realistic either. I said, let's do a circle with your staff. So we planned a virtual restorative circle. It was about a 90 minute session. Through that, that school leader was able to discern that one staff member was struggling with their mental health. He was then able to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them afterwards and get them connected to their employee resources that they could mm. take advantage of for free. You hear me? Mm -hmm. He found out that another person had a medically fragile husband and they had been in the hospital due to COVID, but she just hadn't opened up to him because maybe she felt it wasn't the safest space or she hadn't been asked directly irrelevant why she didn't share it. But most importantly was like this late leader was able to discern some of these really high level issues within his staff because he took the initiative to say something isn't quite right. And it's not another PD. It's not another PD. Right. <laughs> and no. so, you know, the work that we do is very deep heart work. It's, it's not a traditional PD. Um, when we're sitting down and we're circling, like I'm asking you really tough questions. Like, how are you caring for your mental health during this pandemic? What's been the hardest thing you've had to grapple with? I mean, people are crying. People are, you know, saying, I need, I need a minute. It's intense. It's hard work. But I think that is what people need. People need to feel seen. People need to feel the love. People need to know that they're more than just, you know, a paycheck and a classroom holder. So what do we do with bringing teachers back and training them, but then now switching the lens or actually, I guess, embedding both things, race, diversity, and inclusion, and 
COVID? Like, how do we, what, is, what do you suggest for training? What do you suggest, address, uh, suggest for support? Such a big question, right? Uh, it's like the million dollar question that everyone is trying to figure out. I think first, you know, schools need to make decisions in the best interest of their communities, period. So if it is not safe for the children, the parents and the staff, then an alternate model needs to be assessed. I am a huge proponent of safety. And I just think oftentimes, especially lately, there's just been this push to like, get back to normal, get back to normal. And I'm a mom. Trust me, I want my child back in school. It's been four months of at-home fun. Um, right. <laughs> and by at-home fun, I mean trying to run a business and parent and teach, right? Um, but I think if you can't do it safely, then the alternative measures need to be considered. I also think the same way that folks are putting in place, you know, the, the COVID response plans, we need to have a social emotional learning plan. Like if you're trying to get back to it and only focus on content, good luck. And I say that in a very facetious tone because as a fully competent, capable adult, I am still grappling on a daily basis with how to thrive and survive this pandemic. You hear me? Yes, ma'am. What do you think our children are doing? As a school leader, if I had students returning, one of my second priorities after safety, right, would be what am I going to do to unpack the forced trauma that our kids have been eating for the last four months? Because that's exactly what it is on a daily basis. They have felt unsafe. They have felt threatened. They have felt like their life is at risk. And this is before all of the racial injustice, right? This was just the reality with COVID. So I think it is just going to be crucial that we really put in place concrete plans. What is going to happen on month one when they first get back? What's going to happen for staff? What are you going to do when a student has a meltdown and is triggered? Who are they going to see? Who are they going to report to? What are the follow-up services? I mean, detail and intentionality. I'm in the business of of planning and planning well, because I believe, you know, proper planning prevents Poor performance. Um, one one tool that I will definitely lift up that I think is just super helpful for folks as they are thinking through this is um, the CASEL tool that was recently released. So it's um, called an initial guide to leveraging the power of social and emotional learning as you prepare to open and reopen your school and community. I will actually drop that link in our um, like video Okay. So that you can share that with folks after because it's it's a downloadable PDF. It's got a lot of great resources and step-by-step things that you need to be considering for your kids' emotional wellness. Because be very clear, many of them are not going to be emotionally stable when they get back. And be very clear, some of your adults are not either. No. So Mm-mm. really making sure that you're doing what you can in the interim to build them up. Uh, so one other thing that I would like to showcase is what another leader has done, just because I think it's it's helpful to collaborate in that way and share the ideas. I have another school leader out of Atlanta who recently um, tapped us to say, hey, I need curriculum. I need digital online curriculum that my kids can go through, that my teachers can go through, and that my parents can go through so that they're already being primed for the conversations we're going to have when we get back. And so now we're we're building that, right? Um, One of the beautiful things about Restore More is – we can customize whatever you want. There are four things that we do well and we try to stay in our lane and that's building student curriculum, teacher and leader training and wellness and and parent services. But um, one of our services is like we build Zen dens for schools. So if you want a space for your teachers to be able to retreat and relax and, and just take a moment 
to have that that mindfulness reflection that is needed after sometimes first period. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Right. We build those. We had a school in Atlanta that said, all I got is two thousand dollars. We said, we got you. And we built them this phenomenal space with a hammock and recliners and and soothing sounds of waterfalls with coffee and tea because they deserve it. Right. right. They, they deserve it. Like they're working in a title one school in neighborhoods where our kids are steeped in trauma. They do incredibly taxing work every day. And I think as a leader, those are the things you need to be taking stock of. How am I going to take care of my staff when they get back? How am I going to take care of my kids when they get back? And that's beyond just what are they going to learn? How are we going to heal them is, is really the like essential question I, I want leaders to be thinking through. Yes. And, and so you you put the, the, the dot, the period, the exclamation point on it. Um, you better get something in your toolkit, like she said, about change. And I love the book Influencer. Um, I did some work with Deloitte University and um, yes, uh, Courageous Principles. Yes. Yeah. Hey, everybody needs that thing. I'm, that is amazing training. Let me tell you. Yes. It changed my life, really. And so um, I, it was one time that I, you know, got to see. First of all, I thought I was ADHD. I was like, man. So after I went through it, I realized that I'm a pioneer and this is normal. That's I'm how, supposed that's to feel very like normal. This. That's how y'all are. <laughs> I'm supposed to feel like this. So when we come back from break, um, we're going to do Thank God a Teacher Raised Me and we're going to get up out this thing. See you in a bit. This episode is brought to you today by the Unapologetically Educated Store. Yes, Listeners and subscribers, you heard it, the Unapologetically Educated Store. We have all the swag, the merchandise that you need to represent unapologetically. So please go to the store, and if you go before July 31st and use the code UEDUCATED, the letter U, UEDUCATED, you will you will receive 20% off your purchase. Again, the Unapologetically Educated Store is now live in unapologetically ready for you to shop all right we are back from break and so we're going to um wrap up the show but again i say i have been blessed today and i don't know about you but restore more is something i want to know more about (laughs) uh and, and it's something i need to dive into as a leader but also guys this is someone that some of you had never heard of but there are many more black leaders out here doing phenomenal work. And so um, the last part of our show, again, is thank God a teacher raised me. It is my ode to uh, principals, teachers, custodians, anyone doing the work that inspired you. And so right now, Mrs. Miles is going to shout out and thank God for someone who blessed her, groomed her, molded her into the amazing person she is today. I thank God for Dr. Belinda Wilkerson. She was my high school guidance counselor. Um, I'm from a really, really small state, the smallest state. And uh, when I was considering whether I would stay close to home um, and go to a PWI or an HBCU, she encouraged me to run and fly. And I appreciate all that she did as a first-gen college student to pour into me and kind of show me the way. Um, And it's a relationship I still value. I still keep in touch with her and I hold her near and dear to my heart. So yeah, thanks Dr. Wilkes. Thank you, Dr. Wilkes, for inspiring Mrs. Miles. Like, awesome story. So my thank God a teacher raised me, I would be remiss if I did not um, 
speak of this person before I ended season one because she's someone near and dear to my heart. She is my flesh and blood. She is my aunt. Tuffy, also known as Vivian Gaines White, and she is a retired educator um, from East St. Louis, Illinois. And if you know anything about East St. Louis and St. Louis, St. Louis is in Missouri and East St. Louis is in Illinois. Just a little bit of geography for you. But um, my aunt Tuffy is, like I said, a retired teacher that like instilled in me building relationships is 99.9% of getting kids to learn. Like building that relationship comes first and there is nothing above it. And so I thank God for her. And I also thank God for her pouring into me and and watching her be a, a mentor, a visionary of how you struggle in your personal life sometimes, but how you can still come to work and be a queen for kids and in your colleagues, because like this is work that we're called to do as educators. So I thank God for my aunt Tuffy, my aunt. I love her. So Claudine, Mrs. Miles, how can they find you on social media? How can they find you and how can they they tap in? Like, I know some people are going to want to train teachers and train counselors. Do you offer virtual training? How do they reach you? Yep, we absolutely do virtual training. We have been doing it uh, prior to the pandemic, and we've only gotten better since because this is the new world order. Um, And you can reach me across all platforms at We Restore More. Um, so that is Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Our website is WeRestoreMore.com. We try to keep it real simple. Um, if you want to reach out to me directly, my email is cmiles at WeRestoreMore.com. And I would love to hear with you and uh, be a thought partner on how we can take your school from where it is currently to, to that vision that I mentioned earlier. And it's possible because I've seen it and I've done it. And I am grateful to keep doing it for others. So I thank you for coming on to the show and just shedding light and being an insight, a beacon for our next steps for our students socially and emotionally. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. This has been an honor. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode and um, being enlightened by Mrs. Claudine Miles of We Restore More. So today's reflection actually comes from some of the conversation that Claudine and I had about the book Influencer and Change. And so the quote is, it's not enough to do your best. You must know what to do and then do your best. Wait a minute. That said on me wrong. Almost. Ooh, let me start that over. It is not enough to do your best. You must know what to do and then do your best. Y'all, that need to marinate, simmer, put in a Ziploc bag. It need to do a lot in our spaces. I'm going to read it one more time because it's all in my spirit. It is not enough to do your best. You must know what to do and then do your best. Huh. So uh, a lot of us are out here, I'm going to put this in plain terms, a lot of us are out here doing our best to do something, but we really don't know what to do. And so really figure out what you want to do and then do that exceedingly well. But just stop doing shit, Uh uh-oh, stop doing stuff to be doing stuff. Thanks for listening.